Well, good morning, church. It's good to be with you today and to sing these songs and to give praise to our God. As I was writing this message uh, a couple of weeks ago, I, uh, I realized that every single week I sit and I write. And as I'm writing, uh, I'm thinking about uh, being here and I'm thinking about the different people that are in the, in, in the, in the audience, in the church. Um, I, 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 we're, we're creatures of habit, right? And so we tend to sit kind of in the same places. And so as I'm writing my sermon, I, I tend to kind of think out about those who are out there and uh, the people that God, God might be bringing to us. And uh, it's an interesting process trying to get out a word, knowing that it's going to speak in different ways that you just don't know how the spirit will, will move on a specific Sunday. How might this word of God, you know, mean something to this individual? Or uh, I, I think about, uh, you know, a stay at home mom, for instance, who knows the the house is clean today, but just as soon as you get home, it's going to be uh, toys all over the place, right? Or the retiree who wishes that she had more time with her grand, you know, uh, grandkids, but they live in a far-off state. Or how does this word make a difference to the business employee who maybe you know one retirement away from the corner office uh, as he or she is rising up in that that corporate ladder? Or or maybe for the person who's here for the first time, how does this word make a difference or apply? To their lives. And I thought of another person this week, and this is really who I want to speak to this morning. I thought about that high school sophomore uh, who, you know, we, we don't have a youth group section as much as, as when I was growing up, but I thinking about the, the person on the other side of the room more than they are the girl, you know, rather than the message. I, that's who I was in high school. I remember thinking about the girl next to me more than I was thinking about the message. So I was thinking about all of what brings us here and the different contexts and the different situations that I have no idea I'm speaking into. And this morning I chose to write this message specifically to the middle schoolers and to the high schoolers who are in the room. Maybe those are in college who are thinking about the journey you're going to take. And I know that may be a smaller percentage of us because there's a lot of our kids that are other places today um, that are in different places serving in ministry and all that. But you have to kind of choose an audience. I don't often use, choose that early audience. I'm often thinking about others but this morning, as I wanted to talk about calling and how do we discern God's calling on our life, I thought back to that moment in my life and what I may have needed to hear in that moment. What would it be like to be a high school student with every option available to me regarding the work or calling I would give my life to? And how do we go about deciding that work when we sense that call or when we're waiting on the call from God? So if you're in that situation today, I hope you'll hear this message. Maybe God will speak a unique word to you, but I really think this will apply to all of us this morning, as all of us are in different stages of life, always asking the question, right? What is God calling me to next? That question never goes away, does it? It's always this sense that maybe there's something new on the horizon, or that God may be transitioning us into something, or we're always in, in transition between endings and new beginnings. So wherever you find yourself today, that's what I want to speak to, and I want to ask, how, how do we hear God? Uh, in the calling that he has on our lives. Let's pray as we open God's word today. God, this morning I pray uh, to you as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Esther and of Rahab, the God who's been a God for people throughout the centuries and the generations. You have passed on good news to your messengers, and we have received this deposit, and we are people in all kinds of work, people who work in offices and in garages, in homes and in schools, all over the city and all over this county, God. We go forth to do our work, and I pray today you would remind us the reason for that work, God, the calling that you've given to us. Would you speak specifically, God, to those who are younger among us in the room who are thinking about what they will one day do, what they're preparing to do? And I pray you would, uh, you would speak a clear word to them and to all of us today. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray this prayer. Amen. 
Well, to the younger millennials among us, I imagine there's a question you've been asked dozens of times already in your life. The question is, what do you want to be when you grow up? We start asking our kids this question at like three or four years old. Have you noticed this? Which is just ridiculous, right? Can I get to kindergarten first before you start asking me what I want to do with the rest of my life? Or even middle school? But we ask this question because there's something that we want to help them see that one day you're going to have a chance to do and be something great. God's going to call you to great things. What do you want to be? And so uh, when we ask that question, we get all kinds of responses, don't we? Right? I want to be a video game developer. Because somebody had to create these video games that I play, right? Or others think, I want to be a fireman, or I want to be, I want to be a teacher one day. I want to be a veterinarian. I want to, uh, we, we hear all kinds of answers from our kids to that question. And we can think about how ridiculous that question is, but I want to ask us instead to think about this as the most remarkable question you can imagine. It's a remarkable question. Because centuries ago, that question would have never been asked, Right? Because if you were a boy growing up and your dad was a farmer, you would have become a farmer. If you were a, 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 growing up with a blacksmith as a dad, you'd become a blacksmith. And let's be honest about the reality of the situation. If you were a girl in those centuries before, well, you would grow up to raise children in a home, raise a family. You learned to sew and, and to cook and to tend to a house. That was the way the world was at one point. And, and if you go back a few millennia, you begin to realize that it wasn't even that, right? It was, how do we make sure there's enough food for the next day, right? How do, how do we grow enough or find enough food to exist for those that we care for most? Or maybe how do we fend off bears and warring parties that come toward us? This was the world as it was, but we live in a new era where we have the privilege of being able to prepare ourselves for work that connects with our passions and with our giftings and with the calling of God. That's a new era and it's a new question. I think it means we have new responsibility. Ask a new set of questions to ask God, what are you really up to in the world and how can we connect with it? So that reality should lead us to take our calling seriously. Now we live in an individualistic society. We live in a society that tends to decide what's best for me and what will help me climb the ladder. Sometimes we see work more as a get-rich quick scheme than anything else, right? What can I do to make sure I provide for my family or maybe take the next step in the generations ahead? But I'd like to push us to reconsider our work as a way not just to advance ourselves in the world, not a gateway through which we rise up the socioeconomic ladder. I'd like us to believe that our commitment to Jesus has something to say for what we do with our lives, the calling that God has given to us, whether that's our full-time job or the calling that happens outside of that. In in his book, Habits of the Heart, Robert Bella has a quote I wanted to share about this idea. He says, to make a real difference, there would have to be a reappropriation of the idea of vocation or calling, a return in a new way to the idea of work as a contribution to the good of all and not merely a means to one's own investment. Bella is saying, look, your calling is bigger than just what you can do for yourself or what you can do for your family. A calling is something that comes from somewhere else and advances the good of the world. In fact, the Latin word for vocation comes from the word vocare. It just simply means to call. And so if you've received a call, what it means is you haven't come up with this on your own. You have heard from somewhere else. You've received some kind of word or message that you're to go do something But it's not just for your behalf, it's a call on the behalf of others as well. It's not just a job, right? It's not just work, it's a calling, it's a vocation. And a couple words about this idea of calling. As I was prepping this series, one of the questions that came up most to me when I was asking people what they wanted to hear about job and work, they said, we want to know if God calls us to specific work. Is that something that God does? Does he call us? Or does he really just kind of bless whatever door that we go through? 
and I think it's a really good question. I think it's an important question. And I, I, I wish I had a better answer for you today. I, I can't speak directly for God, but it is clear in Scripture that God does call specific people in specific moments. Think back in Scripture to the story of Abraham, to the story of Gideon, right? He, to the story of Esther. All of these people, Jeremiah, he calls at specific moments for specific tasks for the sake of his dream and what he's doing in the world. And so my answer to the question is yes, I believe there are moments where God calls specific people for specific things that matter. But I also believe that God can probably bless a lot of doors that we walk through. That he's gifted us in so many different ways and there are many times that we step in not knowing fully if it's the will of God. And this is what I want to say about this is it's great to know you're called by God to do something. But the danger of that, this idea that God does call us, is if, if we hit roadblocks along the way or things slow down or, or we hit hurdles, sometimes we mistake that as that it really wasn't God's call for that. We must have misheard him. It's like in our marriages. I think this is a really dangerous thing to think that the person that God has called us to be married to is, is the only person in the world, our soulmate, that God designed us for. Because sometimes when things get tough, we think, I must have misunderstood God's call. I must have married the wrong person. I, there's a lot of divorces that have happened as a result of this idea that, well, this is harder than what I thought it was. And if, if roadblocks and hurdles somehow are, are to indicate that that's not the will of God, we, we misunderstand the way the world is. The world's difficult. And good work is also challenging work. And many of these people in Scripture that God calls face huge hurdles and roadblocks. And God moves them through that. And so I think it's important for us to see this idea. And, and also this, I want to say this. Some of you may be starting out and thinking, I think I know what my calling is. And I want to say, that's great. Go after what that calling is. But sometimes God calls us in different ways, in different seasons. There's a principle that I've kind of taken with me into a lot of areas of my life, for a reason, for a season. Sometimes we have relationships that walk into our life and they're meaningful in a moment, but down the road, somebody moves away and, and they were there for a reason, right? They, they came into our lives in an important moment, but it was just for a season. That's okay. There's some transitional moments. The same is true in our careers and in our work. Sometimes we're called for a season to something. And just because we feel called to something new doesn't mean that we misheard the calling. It was where we were called for that season. We were there for a reason in that time. So just because of your season of work maybe coming to a close does not mean it was a mistake. Each season of your life, you're maturing and you're growing and you're taking what you've learned and you're applying it to whatever God calls you to next. And sometimes your work has nothing to do with your calling. I think that's important for us to see as well. I've said it before and I'll say it again in this series. It is a noble thing to make an honorable wage of living to provide for you and for your family. Even if you think it's the most meaningless work or it doesn't connect with the gifts or passion, you wish you could go back and do something far different. It is a noble thing on its own to do good work and provide for those who depend upon you. Scripture talks about those, uh, the, the worker deserves his wages. It's a good thing to do work no matter what it is. And people have done that for centuries. And just because we live in a new era where we can connect our calling and our work doesn't always mean that that's going to be where we start or where we end up. And because that's true, it's also true that your calling may be, need to be something that's outside of your full-time work. A lot of people uh, do good work that may seem meaningless in the moment. What they're doing with their spare time is really what their calling is. Provides them a chance to really use their gifts in new ways. And you may find yourself in that situation. So whether, you, whether you're 15 or you're 50, I want to say that we're tempted to believe that we're in a world where we have to align our gifts and our work, but sometimes it's enough just to do something that doesn't take all of our energy, but provides enough so that we can do the hobby or the calling or the work 
or start the nonprofit outside of that that is good work that God's called us to. Because sometimes getting a paycheck can actually ruin the thing you love most. One of the books that I found helpful as I was studying for this particular lesson was a book by Barbara Brown Taylor, An Altar in the World. It's a great book, but her chapter on vocation, if you're thinking right now about this idea, it was really helpful for me. I want to read a quote from that. She says, in a world where the paid worker work that people do does not always feed their hearts, it seems important to leave open the possibility that our vocations may turn out to be things we do for free. I know an attorney whose vocation is dressing up as Santa Claus every Christmas so the children in his small town can tell him their heart's desires. I know a teacher whose vocation is ironing sheets for hospice patients so their beds are as crisp as those in any four-star hotel. While it is sometimes possible to turn your love into your work, especially if you can figure out how to live on less, it's not always the best idea. When the music you love to play becomes the music you have to play to pay the rent, your heart can suffer from alienation of affection. The poet Wallace Stevens worked for an insurance company by day. T.S. Eliot was a banker, and Philip Levine was a Detroit automaker. I love that quote. I've met a number of people who are working in a particular job, but they have this other passion or this calling or this hobby that they love, and they're convinced that if they could just turn that hobby into their work, then everything would be so much better and easier. What they may not know is it may become miserable as the paycheck comes with it. There's a chance that putting all of the weight and pressure of the cause that you love is the very thing that may crush and provide burden to where you stop loving it. So I've said a lot of things about calling, and, and it may not help you. <laughs> you may still be wondering, I, I still don't know what my calling is. And I want to talk to that for a moment. How do we discern the call of God? How do we determine what it is that God's called us to do, especially for those, as I'm writing and thinking about middle schoolers and high schoolers, as you're thinking about the work God may do, or maybe you're in a transition in your life right now, and you're thinking about what's next. I want to speak to that for a moment. How do we discern? I, I want to say, I think it is vital in all the decisions in our lives, whether it's around this or other things, that we pray and discern in Christian community. We have people around us. That's why our community groups are so vital and important. Is You're doing life. You're sharing your passions and concerns. And you're doing that within a group of people that know you. That can't happen in a room this size, right? We said this before. We believe here that circles are better than rows. It's one thing to be in worship together. This is a great moment. We'll do it again Saturday night and have a great time. But you need to be in a, a community group, a small group, where you can be in connection with people. And this week in our groups, we're going to discuss more about this. If you want to know more about how to get into a group, please let us know about that. But a calling is something that you have to listen for. It's not something that is easily discovered often. Sometimes it comes to some of us, but you've got to attune yourself to the message. I, I believe that God has not stopped calling his people. It's just that his people have, have often stopped listening for that call. God is still as active as he ever was. It's hard to believe that in our lives sometimes because we have blockages or we stop listening for his word. And some of you are saying, I've been listening for a long time and I still don't know what it is. I want to give you a couple questions today to help you in that discernment. Gather people around you that you know and trust, that know scripture, that know your heart, that know who you are. And uh, ask these questions together with them. We'll have this conversation in our groups. The first of those questions is this, what do you love to do? And along with that, what are you gifted to do? especially to those of you who are starting out and thinking about what's next for you. What, what do you love to do and what are you gifted to do? These are the questions that actually led to my calling. And that's part of why I bring these questions to you. I remember being with my dad one day, we were out on the golf course, which is what we did a lot in high school. And I, I didn't know what was going to happen that day, but that day my life was going to be forever altered by a question my dad asked. It was just simply this question. 
I had declared as an accounting major uh, before I went to Abilene Christian, and I hadn't yet gone to school yet. It was the summer in between my senior and freshman year, and thought I was good at numbers and wanted to just kind of make enough money to provide for a family. And so I was going into that work, and Dad stopped me on the course that day, and he said, hey, Colin, accounting, that's interesting. I'm curious kind of what you think your gifts are. What do you think you're good at? And and so I thought about it, and a few holes later, I said, okay, Dad, I'm thinking about it. I think that leadership is something that God has given me a gift for. I I lead at school and and the youth group. Uh, And I know I want to bless people's lives and make an impact. And and, and public speaking, I think public speaking is something. And he said, well, that that doesn't sound much like accounting. Um, Although uh, there are accountants that we need, as we've been trying to say through this series, right? They bring order to our world that we can find meaning. But for my gift set, he said, you know, maybe we need to pray about this some more. Uh, he says, it sounds a little bit more like ministry. My dad had been a minister, and he didn't want me at all to feel like I had to do the family business, right? He said, I don't ever feel that pressure. You'll, you'll be loved by me no matter what you choose. But let's pray about this. And that conversation has stuck with me all these years. I wouldn't be on the stage, I don't think, if it weren't for that question on a golf course that my dad asked. So what is it that you love? What is it that you are gifted to do? Or maybe you need to think about this in light of the passion. There's going to come hurdles and roadblocks. There's difficulties in every job, things we don't like about them. But when it comes down to it, what is it that's going to fuel you? It's not going to be fame. It can't be success that drives you. It can't be an amount of money. If you leave those things out in front of you, disappointment will always be on the other side. It's got to be a drive that's bigger than that. It's got to be something that God has called you to. And so I want to encourage you to think about that. The second question I want to leave with you is this. What do you see that no one else seems to see? What do you see that no one else seems to see? You ever had this moment where you got really worked up about some kind of injustice in the world? And your thought was, somebody's got to do something about that. What I want to say to you is, if you've ever felt that, maybe you're the one who's supposed to do something about that. Maybe that's the very thing that God is using. Uh, sometimes it's our anger or seeing a perceived wrong in the world or something that needs to be righted or gifts that you have that's calling you to do something about it. I want to read the Good Samaritan story this morning. It's a story we've read before. If you have your Bibles, uh, open with me to Luke chapter 10. We'll also have the words on the screen for those of you who, uh, who may not have your Bibles or phones open to it. But the Good Samaritan story is a story that Jesus tells. It's a parable. Um, and there's lots of great you know, lessons or sermons you can take from this. And actually this summer, I'm going to preach through the parables of Jesus. I'm really looking forward to that series, doing prep on that right now. And so I'll probably come back to this story and I'll have a completely different message. But as I was thinking about calling and about this question of what do you see, I wanted to read this passage in light of that. And if you're stuck right now trying to discover calling, maybe maybe this will be a word for you today. This is is not 1 Samuel. That's coming a little bit later if you want to put your bookmark there. This is Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25. On the occasion, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, this is the story, Good Samaritan. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. 
But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. Now, like I said, there's lots of lessons that can be taken from a story like this. But if you apply this to this idea of calling and what do you see, it's amazing what comes out of this passage. Now, this expert in the law comes to Jesus and he says, well, who is my neighbor, right? Trying to justify himself. And when he asks who my neighbor is, what he's actually doing is asking, who is not my neighbor? Who can I be indifferent to? Who can I not see and not have to uh, see and not have to do anything about? And he talks about the priest and the Levite, right? And the priest and the Levite, they see the man, but they, they don't do anything in that scene. And I, I don't want to, I don't want at all uh, in this story, uh, give excuses to the priest and the Levite and what they did. But I want to point out the Samaritan. The Samaritan sees, and what does the Samaritan do? He responds, he acts, he feels responsible. He's implicated in this story and in this man's life in a, rea- in, a, in a real way. If you're anything like me, there are realities of injustice in our world that you look at and, and you grow angry about them. You, you feel like a righteous indignation wells up. And I think that's the spirit of God that calls us to do the work of justice in the world. And maybe this is one of those situations where you feel a responsibility. Others don't seem to get near as worked up as you do about it. Think about the situations, right? Have you ever tried to get people excited about a mission trip or an idea that you had and no one else seems to want to go on it or join in the idea? Maybe you've, you, uh, you've felt a passion for a work or a ministry that no one seemed near as excited about as you did. And you wonder, why is no one else as excited and worked up as I am? Or, or maybe, you know, you, you've been to a conference. Maybe a lot of you have done this, right, in, in your work. You go to that conference, you're kind of sent for the rest of the group. Then you come back to the group and you are just lit up, excited to get this done. And no one else seems to see it. And you're trying to stir people up and no one seems to get stirred up. I feel a little bit like that's what this story is about. I've been there. I've wanted people to get fired up because you know what? I I think everyone should care about everything I care about. Because I think everything I care about is important. But what if that passion you have, what if... What if what you saw that no one else could see is the very call of God on your life to be the one who does something about it? What if you're not supposed to get upset with the priest and the Levite? But what if like the Samaritan, there's no rage, you just step up and do the thing that you realize God is calling you to do in the first place? Let me ask again, what has God given you eyes to see that no one else seems to see? Because once you taste something, you can't untaste it. Once you see something, you can't unsee it. And just because you've seen and tasted it doesn't mean the rest of the world can see and taste it. I like the way Vaclav Hevel says it. He says, the secret of a man is the secret of his responsibility. I quoted him in gender-specific terms. This is for all of us though, right? The secret of a person is the responsibility, the secret of our responsibility. What are you responsible for? Frederick Buechner says it this way. I like this a lot. Your vocation is the place where your deep gladness meets the world's deep need. 
You want to know what you're called to? That may be something you want to keep in front of you. Where does your deep gladness, the, the way God has designed you, the passion he's given you to something, how does that align with a great need in the world that others don't seem to feel a responsibility to take for in the same way you do? The, 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 the job, your job's not to get others riled up and upset. God's called you to do that in that season. There will be people that will come around you. There will be people that will see what you see along the way, but not everyone will, and you've got to be okay with that. The response is to be like the Samaritan who sees and does. This calling may be for your full-time job, or it may be for that part-time work that you do outside of your full-time job. If you find yourself in retirement right now, I believe these questions may be the very thing God's calling you to use to cement your legacy in the late years of your life. All these years, you felt this stirring in you, and you you didn't quite know what that was going to look like or how you were going to carry it out. I want to encourage you with the time and the expertise and all that you've gained over the years. Use that, and don't let that voice just die out in you. Ask the question, how's God calling you to respond, to see, and to feel responsible and to do? What's the secret of your responsibility? Secret to who you are. If you're a stay-at-home mom or dad, you have energies as small as they may be in certain seasons, right? Give them to your calling and to your responsibility. What are you responsible for? Where does your deep gladness meet the world's deepest need? If you're a high school student, you have a chance to ask this question right now before you get started. Some of us wish we could go back. And I want to say something to you specifically to the high schoolers, college kids, middle schoolers. Um, David Brooks wrote an article in the New York Times that I found really helpful. He talks about why so many students from the most exclusive universities go, tend to go into just a couple of degree plans, into finance and consulting he was studying. And Brooks makes the point that many college students don't choose work that fits their abilities, their talents, and their capacities but rather they choose work that fits within their limited imagination of how they can boost their own self-image. And that means a lot of young adults right now are choosing work based on where the pay is best or where there's better self-image, where fame can be found. Those things don't last if you're not called to them. My question to you would be not, where are you going to be able to find the money? There's a lot of competition in those areas, is what he's saying. Find the thing that you're built to do and go do it. Go get trained for it. Go get educated. You were designed for certain work. You have abilities and passions that have been given you by God. Do not ignore those gifts and those passions. And if like the Samaritan in Luke 10, God has given you eyes to see something in the world that needs to be fixed, don't try to quiet that voice because it's the voice of God. And one last word I want to speak to those of you who are parents of teens or those who are walking closely with teens right now in this season. What you have to say to them about their job as you process these things with them will stick with them. And that can be for good or it can be for ill. I'm grateful for my dad and the conversation that we had, that he wasn't trying to steer me in a direction. He was truly trying to help the Spirit of God come in. But I remember every word of that conversation that happened 16 years ago now. And it shaped the last 16 years of my life. So in some ways, we feel a great responsibility about this, right? Because anything you say, any word you give may just send a kid on a trajectory that may be aligned with their gifts and passions. It may... Not. You don't need to feel responsible for what the Spirit of God does, but take care. But I, but I also want to say, be careful not to push your kids just into professions that you think can provide enough for their family. It's important to provide for our families. I said, it's a noble thing to provide enough. But those conversations, whatever you have, I'm praying for you this week and in the weeks to come. It's very important, the, the conversations you have, the conversations others are able to have, because these conversations will stick with your kids. And I, I think it's important for us to do this in community and to discern together. 
Uh, and so I want to encourage you in those ways. It mattered uh, in my life, and it'll matter in your kid's life. I want to close with one more story as we end today, and that's where 1 Samuel 17 comes uh, to mind. So turn there if you want to. The words will be on the screen in just a moment. It's the story of David and Goliath, probably a story as well known as, as the uh, story about the Good Samaritan. And if you've been wondering about your calling, maybe you've been struggling to discover it, I, I want to leave this with you because this is kind of the, the bit I want you to chew on going from here the week ahead. In 1 Samuel 17, David kills Goliath. It's a remarkable story, right? It's this little guy who defeats the big guy. It seems clear that David is positioned and called for something major in his life now. In fact, this is the part of what launches him on his journey to kingship over Israel. He's already been anointed, right? And some of you have been anointed for some things, but he hasn't yet found the path and when that moment's going to come. But do you remember how this story begins? I'm going to read this to you. I want you to pay close attention, especially those of you who may be reassessing calling right now. 1 Samuel 17, beginning in verse 12. Now, David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time, he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, take this ephah of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They're with Saul and all the men of Israel in the Valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. The story begins in the most mundane of ways, right? David's dad sends the youngest. Some of you are the youngest. You know what this is like, right? Being asked to do those tasks for the others. Hey, go take this bread and cheese to your brothers. So David does, right? He goes and takes this bread and this cheese, and perhaps some of you are waiting on your call from God. Maybe some of you feel like you've been anointed, but the path isn't yet clear on how you're going to get there. And you're wondering, what's the next step? You know you're supposed to conquer giants. You know you're supposed to do whatever it is that God's called you to do, and you may be wondering, okay, but, but what's the first step? And what I want to say to you today is, bring the cheese. And I wish I could speak into every one of your lives and sit across the table and figure out what bring the cheese means for you. But what that often means in our lives is there are tasks that seem beneath us. We think that maybe this can't be of God or this is a detour because this can't possibly be the big thing God's anointed us to do. But what David does is he follows his dad's advice. He honors his parents, right? And he takes the cheese to his brother's. And he shows up on the battlefield and all those people who are there, the Israelites, they keep getting called out by Goliath, right? Every morning he comes out, who wants to battle against me? And no, everyone sees, but they don't feel responsible to do. But David shows up on the scene with his cheese and he sees the giant and he hears his taunt. And David feels responsible to do something in that moment. When he woke up that day, I imagine he had no idea what the day was going to end like. His only task was to bring the cheese. So I don't know what your cheese looks like this week, what it looks like tomorrow morning. It's probably going to look pretty mundane. It may seem beneath you. But if you're wondering what the call of God may be on your life, what that long journey ahead may look like, it always starts with one step. It doesn't start with five stones and a sling all the time that gets slung. 
It starts by bringing the cheese. So you never expected that would be the last word of the day. The last word is bring the cheese. Let's pray as we close today. God, I thank you so much for the call that you've given in unique ways to each person in this room. Each one is designed from the moment they were in their mother's womb, God, to be destined to do great things, God. Some have been gifted in public ways and some in more private ways. Some are introverted and have gifts that come with that and others are extroverted and everyone knows it. But God, you've designed us for tasks for the sake of your kingdom, God. Help us to see what we have been made responsible for. Help us to discover what our, our, our great longing is for the world and to know it's the deep need of the world. God, as we enter into uh, our work this week, as we enter into our tasks, as we enter into the mundane work of bringing bread and cheese to others, would you help us to see more clearly? Would you help us to feel responsible for whatever it is you call us to and whatever it is you're leading us toward? God, I pray for each one that's struggling. I pray specifically for the the middle schoolers and high schoolers today that are thinking about their next steps. I pray you you would... Allow your word to be a lamp to their feet, a light to their path, God. Help them to discover what the cheese looks like tomorrow for them. And God, for those who may be struggling right now with calling, whether that's a calling of full-time work that may be a transition or whether that's a calling that's outside of their full-time work or maybe it's their retired work, God, as they've developed all that they've developed and they still have that, that nagging sense, God, that they've seen and feel responsible for something. God, through your spirit, would you bring them encouragement to take the next step? We pray this today in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.